Hello, this is Pastor Paul, and I'm an associate pastor at Living Word Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today, because I know the word from Pastor Doug will minister to your spirit, and it will build your faith. I know God will move in your life because you are a doer of the word. Enjoy today's message. As I was preparing and looking at the scriptures today, it took me back to something I had to do about a week ago. My driver's license is up for renewal in June, and I got a letter that said it would extend because of COVID. And every time I would drive in front of the facility, there'd be like 10 people lined up outside, and I would ask how long they're having to wait, and they're having to wait 20 or so minutes apiece. And I would do the math and think, I don't have two hours to stand outside. So I happened to get there one day last week, and there were only three people, and I did the math and said, that's an hour, that's the best I've seen all this time. So I got in line. And I went in, and of course, it, 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 I should have been there sooner, but they were very gracious to me, and I didn't have to make any excuses. I said, my birthday was in June, but we know because of COVID and because of the long line, in reality, it's the line, isn't it? I said, yes, ma'am, it was the line. And she laughed and said, you're an honest man, what do you do? I said, I'm a preacher. She said, well, at least you're an honest preacher. And I got a little laugh out of that. And we, 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 I had to take uh, the written test. I didn't expect that. I didn't know I was going in to take the written test, so I'm thinking in my mind, is there anything I need to brush up on first? And I didn't. Went over, took the test, and passed, of course. The whole thing was to get an ID that would say I could drive, that said I was qualified to drive, and I was wanting to get that updated, and I thought of the reasons for having the ID really isn't, isn't a great benefit to me to carry it around, but If I violate something, I can show them that I was qualified even though I violated in an area. I thought of the times I still write paper checks and people want an ID, and I thought of the reasons to need an ID. And there was a testing to get it, but there was something else that had to happen. She went through all of the traits, looking at the old license and looking at me, and uh, uh, height, I said 6'5", weight, 200, still the same. Hair, I said, still black, <laughs> kind of smile. <laughs> Eyes, still green, you know. Went down the list of, of the identifying traits, uh, 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 physical traits. There's supposed to be a way to recognize me. And as I was preparing for today's message, I, I was aware of how there are character traits in us that are being observed by God and experienced by people. And in thinking of that, One of the most important things we do that lasts forever is how we operate in faith, how we operate in the love of God, and how we stir hope among other people. And I thought that's really the the, the composite of what we are supposed to do. And when I look at the scriptures, we wear that like a badge for all eternity. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians writing a letter to a church said, we're going to be known in heaven by the same identifying qualities that we were known on earth. And then he went on to say what they are. They're they're how we live by faith, how we love God and love people, and how we stir hope, or maybe hopelessness, but hope in people. And rather than it be something we wear in our pocket for an ID to pull out, we're known by these things because he says, I will both know others this way and they will know me this way. And I thought to myself, 
I wonder how ready we are to be identified for all eternity because it's too late to do it right there. We automatically will be upgraded and learn how to do things. We'll continue to learn. And I thought about heaven a little bit, and I thought I'm going to talk about this before I get into the scriptures a little bit for you to understand the concept. Heaven and hell both have levels and degrees. The, the, the city of, of New Jerusalem has levels in it where not everybody lives in the throne room of God. Not everybody is, has immediate access. Heaven is a place where we, we live forever to worship God. We live forever with Him. We live forever with everybody that has loved Him. But there is a, a, a positioning in heaven when we study what the scriptures are talking about there, it talks about hell in a similar way. There are levels of hell. And the deepest hell is where the, 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 the evil spirits and, and uh, the, the harbingers of darkness will be locked up for all eternity in the deepest pit, the furthest away from humanity. But it talks about levels of hell ascending, all of them bad, all of them restricted, all of them uh, filled with fire, all of them filled with terrible torment. I thought everything has levels, spiritually speaking, when we look at the Bible. I believe when I see what the Scriptures say, we'll be identified in how we live and where we live and what we're doing in heaven by how we handled three things in the earth. Our walk of faith, our walk of love, and our use of hope. It's one thing for me to love God well. It's another thing to love people well. It's yet another thing to love unlovely people well. It's one thing to use my faith to see my family's needs met, but it's another thing to use my faith to see God's family's needs met. It's one thing for me to be hopeful because I try to control things around me so that I can feel hopeful in making good decisions. It's another thing for me to bring hope to somebody who is in despair. A whole other thing. So when I, I consider these things today, I thought, you yeah, we're going to talk about what is meant to be a heavenly identification, but it's how we're supposed to know one another now. And I thought a little bit, I thought of the, the five most loving people in my life, and how much I enjoy being around those people. Then I didn't, I didn't make another list of the five most unloving people, but it went through my mind. Why? That's a real easy list, too. The ones who love really well, you give some thought to that, and there's people that crowd into that space. I can think of more than five. I think of people that live by faith that encourage me to live by faith. Not just that they live by faith and they say, look, look how God's blessing me. That gets kind of old. But who is, is God blessing where they're not really pointing the attention to themselves, but they are encouraging my faith by what I can see happening in their life. And they, they wear their testimony like a badge. They're willing to share the goodness of God. Then I thought about, okay, who, who could I be around? And there weren't very many on this list that are really full of doubt and unbelief. There are a few people out there. I encountered one last week, just somebody out in the public that was so fearful and so afraid of everything and so like, stay away from me kind of attitude. And I thought, wow, that person is bound by fear. It was beyond caution. I thought, how thankful I am that I don't live that way anymore. 
So we'll look at the word today because of what it says, but I look back and think about the testing to get the driver's license and then the traits that were to mark that it belonged to me. And I recognize something about all eternity and even our walk here in how God chooses to use us depends on how we choose to relate to him. And if we relate to these things that were the most important to the master, we're going to walk in a, an authority that God can use in the earth to change things, to change people, to change situations, always for the better. Now, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 12 and 13. You've heard me say that we should have an outward expression of an inward work. I talk about worship that way, but our whole relationship with God, we should have outward expressions of what God is doing inside of us. It's kind of like there's outward expressions of what happens in your home. When you go out, people look at you and go, oh, what a happy family. And they see an outward expression of, of what it is to live with your life as much put together as you can. When you go out, you try to be a great example of that. But some, what they're not seeing is the inward work that went into the outward expression. What really is going on so that you can have those few moments of, ah, here we are, aren't we wonderful, aren't we having a good time, aren't we all smiling at each other? But getting ready to do that, there was a work. There was an investment. There was discussions. There might have been deadlines. There might have been all kinds of things that went into having the outward expression that others can experience. We have a lot more going on on the inside than ever comes to bear on the outside. But I've learned it in my life. If I want anything to manifest through my life, it first has to manifest in me and happen in me. So we're talking about today what really it comes down to if we're going to live for Christ outwardly, what has to happen on the inside? Scripture says we're going to be constantly processing these three things, faith, hope, and love. Now, this is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 12 and 13. For now we see through a glass darkly, or when we look in the mirror of God's Word, it, there's some obscurity in it. But then we see face to face. In other words, when we get to heaven, we're going to have a full understanding and revelation of everything. We're going to see and know everything. Now I know in part, but then in eternity I will know even I will know others even as I am known by them. We're not going to be known so much for physical traits, though scripture says we have a glorified body and people will recognize it. The traits on your badge aren't going to be what color are your eyes, what color is your hair, how tall are you, and how heavy are you. Uh, if they had to do that, they'd say, uh, what date do you want to look at? You know, when she said, how, how, what, what do you weigh? I said, well, what's on there? She said, 200. I said, that's good. <laughs> I didn't know what was on there for sure. Now, there's been a wide variation over the years, so I wanted to know what was on there. When we get to heaven, it will be the character traits that we allowed God to bring from the inside out while we were here. Think of it this way. Your, your heavenly identifications being built by how you live here and what you do, what you think about, and how you treat other people and how you choose to worship and, and, and live for the Lord. He says, I, I will know them even as I am known. And he said, and now, or right now, abides or abides in our life, faith, hope, and love, these three, 
but the greatest of these is love. Well, I've heard that preached a lot of times, shared a lot of times at weddings because of what love is. But I've not heard people talk about enough. We're going to be known for all eternity by that. In other words, when Jesus looks at us, he's going to be thinking those three things. Why? It's how we glorify the master. We talk about living our life to glorify God, but sometimes that's vague. How do we do that? Well, we, we do that in being a witness for the master. That's still vague. Being a witness for the master, how? It comes down to these three things. Now, I want to point out Acts 17, 28, because it says, In Him we live, in Him we move, in Him we have our being. These three things are our are, are character traits found in Christ Jesus. It's why when we look at the Bible and read the Scripture, we can recognize He was the perfect sacrifice. Because no matter what happened to Him, He responded the right way. What He had to do is the same thing we have to do. When He came to earth, He laid down all His heavenly majesty. In other words, He was already the Son of God. He was the Prince of Heaven. He laid all of that down, and He had to come before the Lord the same way that we do, and learn to operate as a man in faith, hope, and love. That means he was tempted sometimes to blow a gasket when somebody didn't treat him right. And all of the things where, where we have human failings, Scripture says he was tempted in all the ways we are tempted, yet he didn't sin. That's remarkable. When I think of him achieving that as a man, I just have to like, okay, you know, we, we have no excuse really because there's times I like to use my humanity as a reason why I get upset or I don't act right and think, well, after all, I'm just a person. No, we are not. We're a person saved by the Lord Jesus Christ who can have faith in him to make us be like him. That's the bottom line. So if we let ourselves get off the hook too often, we'll never really be like Jesus the way we want to be. It says in heaven, what we're really doing is we're measuring up to his expectation. The levels of heaven and the levels of hell have to do with meeting or not meeting God's expectation. The gates of hell, we, we, Jesus prevailed over the gates of hell for us. Because we're saved, we're born again. So we're not threatened by all of those lower levels, but heaven has an entry level. Also, when we receive Jesus, one gate is closed, the other gate is open to us. But then there's levels that we, we achieve literally by our obedience. I don't hear a lot preached today about obeying God. Everybody acts like everything's just going to happen and I don't know, I'm old enough and been walking with God long enough, I know things just don't happen of their own accord. The devil tries to stop everything good from happening. That's why sometimes we get in trouble. We try to be like Jesus and we end up acting like the devil. Why is that? Because there is a devil. He acts out through people too. And if he can get in our head for a moment, we can act like him in that moment. That doesn't mean he's living on the inside. It means we gave something to gave wrong thinking to something. Wrong thinking leads to a, a wrong expression. Ever had an outburst? Everybody should say yes. Every husband and wife should be elbowing each other. It's going to happen. Why? We have humanity in this earth, but we have access to who Jesus is to. No. There is a, an inward working. 
of these three things that Jesus wants to develop. Think of it this way. Your, your badge, your ID in heaven is a kind of reward. I hear people say at most funerals, so-and-so went on to their reward. Well, what is that? You know, When I hear people say things that are sort of religious-y, I want to figure out where did that come from? And is that real or is that just something made up? Because I hear going on to, well, what are we being rewarded for? You ever wondered? You know, I, I look at the scripture and think, what counts to God when I get there? And I've learned something great. The same thing that counts for God here counts when we get there. And that's what the, this message really is about. It, it, it changes our, our, how we interact in heaven. Now, there is an inward working that is Christ Jesus developing us, and it's a place of conflict. But how do I want to talk about this? I want to talk about it because it's the place where you're struggling in your life. That's the place where he develops us. And the struggle is because the, the enemy doesn't want us to be more like Christ. Why, we change the world with that stuff. We change the world because we've been changed. We don't change the world because we're divine. We change the world because we remember being changed. My greatest ability to reach in someone else's life is to recognize something that they need or something they're walking through that I have walked through in a similar way. And I can relate to them. And as soon as I relate to them, condemnation goes and an openness comes. Why? Because there's a desire in all of us to be more like Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit put that desire on the inside. It's proof that we are alive unto God. We don't have a desire to do better than we're not alive unto God. And I question if anybody like that ever even was born again. Why? There's a work of the heart that changes how we're motivated. This is 1 Thessalonians 1.3 that talks about this, this working on the inside. And he starts out by saying, remember, he's really saying evaluate yourself without ceasing. Three things, your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfast endurance of hope or hope that never gives up and never quits. Those things in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. I've been thinking a lot about that, and I thought faith, talking first about the work of faith, what am I putting my faith to work for? It pleases God when we depend on Him, and we pray and thank Him for working in our life and bringing us opportunity and believing God for, for increase. But I thought beyond that, what, what, what really comes before that? is using my faith to understand what the Bible says. I've told you before as a young Bible school student, I couldn't make heads or tails of what the Bible said. I'd read it and read it and read it, and other people would have all this like epiphany moments and God moments and visitations, and they were all excited and think, I read it, and I don't have any experience like that. I had to use my faith in the Lord Jesus to help me become a good learner of His Word. I learned that there was such a thing as revelation knowledge or knowledge God would reveal and thought, I'm in line for that. If I don't get that, I'm not going to be a preacher. I remember praying that way. If I don't get that in mass, I don't want to get up. I don't want to try to tell people what they ought to think. If I don't have revelation knowledge when I read the Bible, how ridiculous would that be? So we use our faith for our spiritual walk. We use our faith to grow in God. We use our faith to to change how we think about ourselves. 
to get a different, different idea in our head about ourselves. The work of faith. One of the highest works of faith that you can, you can operate in is when your faith is active for somebody else. They're in trouble or they're hurting or, or they're, they're missing out on something. You know, we, we think of at Christmas time, particularly giving and giving the food baskets and doing things that make a difference for people. We want to do that. But I don't just want to hand out food or goodies or toys. We want to bring what makes a change of life, and that's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not just faith in people. So I think about the working of faith, and I love that he used the word working. It comes from the word ergon, or where we get ergonomics, how things work together. In other words, there's a working together that's supposed to be happening on the inside that puts us in conflict from time to time. Faith calls those things that be not as though they were. That means we're going to need faith wherever we've got a deficit or we've got something going wrong or we've got something that isn't right that we want to have right. Faith is a place of honesty in our lives. It's a place of struggle. It's a place where we have a reality check before God and say, well, here's, here's how you say I'm supposed to live. I, I remember uh, a, a number of times wondering how God would move in in our lives, Lucinda's in my life, in our marriage to, to prosper us, to take care of our family, what would happen. And we've gone through a lot of different transitions and a lot of different things God's done in our lives like any family. And I learned what the working of faith was for us in that. That there was always a struggle with doubt. What if that doesn't work out? What if the company closes? What if... Part of the work of faith is overcoming what if. Part of the work of faith is recognizing no matter what's happening in our lives, we are God's source to instill faith in Christ in other people. So when things, I found this innumerable times in my own life, even as a preacher, if I'm dealing with doubt or unbelief or despair or concern, or you know, my faith is under attack, invariably, at least three people will tap into me for prayer. Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm going through this. And I'll think, the very thing you're asking for me to be in faith for you for is what I need to be happening in my life. And you know what you do with it? You can either reject it and say, I'm not fit for the working of faith, or you can recognize, I'm getting in on this now because what I do for another person, God's going to turn around and do for me. And I found it again and again and again. How, how oftentimes, for example, if I get ready to bring a message about divine healing, invariably, I'm telling you, invariably, the Saturday before I'm to bring it, something happens to me physically. I'm coughing or feeling funky in my throat or have a little chill or something and it goes through my mind. How are you going to minister? Now, I don't come to church sick and minister, but I pray and say, God, you're my healer. And by morning when I get up, I'm good to go. Almost every time. I won't say every time. There's been time or two you see me not here that I was sick and somebody last minute had to speak because I'm not going to cough on everybody. But what happens is I purpose in my heart to minister health and healing. The enemy tries to come and attack the working of my faith. It doesn't mean when you get sick that, that your faith isn't working. It means you're developing and you're working through a struggle. 
It doesn't mean when you're getting a new job or you're believing God for a new job and you get turned down in a couple interviews that it's not going to work. Your faith is being battered. What do you, you go to the next interview? You go to the next thing. What is it? That's the working of faith. See, there's a great mistake that we make as Christians in not sharing about the working of it. Otherwise, people come into the things of God and they think everything's just going to be easier all the time. No. You're going to start living with a sword in one hand and a shovel in the other hand. You're going to have to dig your way out of the pit the enemy tries to put you in. You're going to have to fight off the works of darkness as you go forward in in life and ministry. I'm tired of meeting Christians that give up all the time. We should expect there to be a fight. And when we give up, we're an example of what hope is not. He put hope in there, and I'm so glad that he did. Because your faith has to be married with hope for it to be secure. If the devil gets in and steals hope, doubt and unbelief come in, and and they, they will tie up your faith where it can't work. Love has to work with faith. In fact, it says our faith works by love. So if we walk in unforgiveness, faith comes under fire. We exposed our faith. We made our faith available to the enemy to steal from us. You see how they're knitted together? I'm doing that on purpose. Why? There are traits that we have to have to be successful. Faith has assignments. We have some assignments as a church to our missionaries. We have some assignments to, to Guatemala in particular that God spoke out over. I remember when he asked me, will you do this for me? When I said yes, he said, you will always carry responsibility to that nation and to the people there. Well, he wasn't speaking just to me personally. He was saying, this is something that we'll do. Faith has an assignment. So what do we do? We, we believe God to help them. And many give sacrificially to be able to help missionaries. That's, that's why we do it, to partner with the work. Now, faith has assignments. Love has labor. The labor of love, literally talking about the labor like in giving birth. It's a different kind of work. It's very personal. It has moments of great pain followed by great joy. Think of what kind of love that is. It's the kind of love when you know you have to, to support a new life. It's the kind of love that precedes the joy that you have in holding that child and the lifetime of training and teaching. He's talking about a close personal connection that we are to have with people where we literally have feelings for what somebody else is going through when God is trying to produce life through them. Why? Our spiritual, our spiritual life, what God's doing on the inside, has to come out to the outside. When you learn how to pray, you learn it best there where you will feel moved on the inside by the Holy Spirit because you've heard of a need somebody has. And let's say it's somebody really close to you. It's one of your kids. 
you will feel moved on the inside and motivated and, and come racing across town or whatever you've got to do to get with them to take charge of the situation. But when praying, there's more of a passion coming out. Why? You are attached to birthing that new life and bringing that new life and everything that's going to happen to them, everything that is flowing out of them has a connection back to you. For us to experience the fullness of that, fellowship has to take place. So when I'm watchful over our, our national situation right now, I'm saying, oh, no, no, we're not going to cut out all fellowship. We dare not do that. Why? We become closely knitted together, Scripture says, in the love of God working in us by these kinds of things. You can say you love me, but do you love me enough to know when I'm going through, ugh? That's love. That's what he's talking about, the labor of love. It means I will enter into Ben's ugly place in life and come alongside him like the Holy Spirit would if he asked me or tells me. <laughs> come alongside him. Why? I'm coming alongside to be a part of his victory. At Whatever God's trying to do through him, I'm a part of it. I remember being with Lucinda when both of our kids were born, and the doctor said, tell her to push. And I said, push. And she said, shut up. <laughs> she knew to push. She didn't hear me to say push. The doctors and nurses were saying push. We had great big 10-pound babies, and, and Lucinda's not very big. And the doctors were hollering, push, push, push. They wanted me to holler at her, too. She said, I don't need you to holler at me. Hold my hand. Yes, ma'am. Hold your, hold your hand. What did she? She just needed to be, me to look in her eyes and reassure her and tell her good things, good news. Recognize when somebody else is going through something, the love they need is what they're going to tell you they need from you, not what you think you need to do. Something I really don't like in my life was when I'm going through something, if somebody comes to me and they're going to get preachy on me. A preacher. I go, well, I, I, that's not what I need right now. I probably already know what you're talking about anyway. I know what the words say. I need to have something beyond the words. I need to have some other kind of, what is it? That's the labor of love that we recognize. It isn't about the words. It's about proximity. It's about availability. It's about compassion, which is a kind of love that is expressed. It's be being close enough to other people in the body of Christ that there's a connection. And the connection, there can be a flow between the connection that sometimes is a glance. The people you love the most, you spend the most time with, can read your facial expressions as though you are saying sentences. Why? We develop that over time. Mamas are really good at making all kind of eye and eyebrow movements that other people can't discern, but the kids up and down the row all know what all of those looks mean. And then if daddy twitches or moves or makes a... They all know when they get home they're going to be in big trouble. Or they're going to not get a treat. or why? We learn those things instinctively as humans at an early age. We choose to learn them as Christians to mimic our Heavenly Father, to be like Him. Why? People aren't going to know God without knowing Him through somebody. So we become Jesus' witness instead of our own. See, when I put any of these qualities in check, if I'm not feeling greatly hope-filled about something and somebody needs hope from me, I've got to chunk off how I feel about it. So I'm not going to be moved by what I feel 
or what I see, I'm going to give them Jesus right now. And I share something good. And I don't have to pre-qualify it with, I'm not feeling so hot today myself. I'm kind of down, but I'm going to build you up. If you're not, if you're down, you're building up. It's not going to come out of you being down. It's going to come out of Jesus being resurrected. So what do we do? We choose to go there instead of how we feel. Does that make sense? All right. I think you're following me pretty good. We're tracking good. Love has a working action. That's what it's like. Hope endures hardship without wavering. What? That means you have to have some hardship. Yes. Scripture says we will endure hardship as a good soldier. What does that mean? There is a boot camp called hardship. Anytime you want to walk in faith and love, hardship will come to try to steal your hope away. Sometimes we take hardship better than other times. It depends where it comes. There's certain hardship I don't want anymore. I like a comfortable chair after 9 o'clock at night. I do not like a hard chair. It's a hardship to me. I like my soft chair. I like better my couch at 9 o'clock at night. With my chosen pillow, I don't like somebody else to have. I have a body pillow on my couch. 9 o'clock at night, I pull that, that pillow up, and I'm scrolling through watching something on TV, most likely. I'm getting real comfortable. i got another pillow under my knee, and I've got something snacky in my hand, and I've got my quart jar of whatever chosen drink over here sitting on the hassock. I've got me a little setup. I don't like anybody to mess with the setup. And, and it seems to, in me, it seems to work well for me. Everybody's got their own things like that, but when we don't have our setup, are we hope-filled? When we don't get our way, do we contain any of those three things? Do we, are, are we as loving? I mean, I'll, I'll walk in sometimes and Lucinda's mom will have my body pillow and she's sitting on my couch. I'm pretty tolerant. She's not almost 98 years old and she has to get close to the TV to really be able to hear it or it has to blow everybody else out of the house. So that's just part of what happens in our household. But she's learned something. She'll start out with saying, do you want your pillow? Do you want to lay down? Do you? Why, she recognizes my little system that I do and that she's in the middle of what I normally do. Love comes in, hope comes in, and faith comes in in those situations, and we choose how we're going to respond. We're always nice to her. But she's become sensitive to what is our, our norm. She has a norm, too, for her to hear. She's got to be close. My couch is the closest piece of furniture to the TV. I say, my couch, Lucinda's got hers, looks just like mine, and I've got mine. That's how we do it at our house. You'll want a room that big someday. You have two couches, too, if you're married long enough. Hope endures hardship without wavering. Your faith and your hope and your love all work together. The moment you step out and say, God, I'm going to go on a missions trip, or God, I'm going to, I'm going to teach Sunday school, or God, I'm going to do, I'm going to, I want to do something for you, God. Watch the enemy try to come against your faith life and how you love people and even how you express it to God. And hope. Something will happen where you will suddenly feel challenged and think, I don't know if I can keep that commitment. Hope comes against commitment. Hope comes against maturity. Hope, hopelessness comes against all of, all of those areas of maturity in our life. So we've talked about an outward expression identifying us with like a badge. We've talked about the work there is to, to qualify 
Think of it this way. There's, there's classes of driver's license. I got there and said what, what, everything was in a kiosk on a screen. It's the first time I've ever had to do it that way. I said, what class driver's license do you need? And I said, I wonder how many there really is anymore. I don't know if I know. So I, I checked what I know just for regular driver's license. But I asked the lady, how many are there? She said, well, about as many. It depends what you want to be qualified to do. What do you? I said, well, if I wanted to drive everything, how many would I need? She said, eight. I thought, wow, there's eight levels of driver's license. Who'd have known? That, I, I didn't even know why I was asking her that a week ago until I was preparing this message, and I recognized we've got paces to go through in faith, hope, and love that determine really our success the way God sees it. It's not what do we end up with at the end of the race, it's who are we at the end of the race. It's not that we outpaced somebody else, it, it's that we finished in a way that pleased Him. Now, we have an equipping that gives us the ability to protect God's expectation. You know, he doesn't make it happen for us. We make it happen for us, but he helps us. He protects the equipping. This is 1 Thessalonians 5. This is 1 through 10 kind of summarized. But of the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need that I write unto you. This is a letter to a church again. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord's return will come quickly as a thief in the night. He's talking about a season of time where Jesus could return. I say it periodically, could be any time. When you look at the scripture, what had to happen first, most everything's all done in the scripture. The world seems to be in chaos like the Bible says it would be. People are calling wrong things right and right things wrong like the Bible said it would be. Uh, people are call, call, people naming themselves Christians that don't know Jesus at all, but they identify with Christians. Now, he, he says in verses 3 through 7 that, that many will be caught off guard when Jesus returns because they're living in darkness. That should concern every believer. As we go through this, this separation time in our nation, I've been listening to statistics most church leaders in the United States agree that 30% more of people in churches have fallen away that will likely never walk with God fully again. Well, I want to I come against that statistic by empowering those of us who know not to do that and to recognize it made me think about Jesus' return. It made me choose this passage in Thessalonians that ties in perfectly anyway but I thought Jesus said he would come like a thief in the night. What does that mean? People wouldn't be ready for the reason he was coming. He's coming to snatch us away. One passage says literally to steal us away, like in the middle of the night, like a, a young man coming to take a young lady to elope. That's, that's the connotation, to whisk her away in the night, where people wake up in the morning and wonder, what, what in the world happened here? Scripture is saying that many who call themselves Christians will be caught off guard, meaning they will not go thinking they would. I hear a lot of preachers saying, oh, everybody's just going to go. I don't see that in the Scripture. When I don't see that in the Scripture, I say, oh, I want to make sure I'm, I'm doing the right things. What matters to you, Lord? And this, this same passage in, in verse 8, he says, but let us who are of the day, or those who are walking in the light, or those who have revelation knowledge, or those who have a real relationship with the Lord Jesus. Let us be sober. 
I, I, I circled those in, in, in my study text thinking, be sober, it means be realistic and be focused and don't be caught off guard. Be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. Thought, here we are again. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Faith, hope, and love again, but now likened to, to armor. Likened to something that protects us. And I thought about, I thought about a breastplate being on. I thought, what? I looked, at, looked a bunch of them up. thought, the best ones cover you all in the front. All the vital organs are covered. I thought, okay, there is a physical protection there is something God does in us to preserve life and to protect life and to identify us. If I'm walking in faith and love the way I'm supposed to, even the enemy, even the, the think of it, the, the, the devil or whatever's attacking you, sees the breastplate of faith and love. What puts a breastplate there? I choose to put it on and say, I'm going to live by faith and I'm going to walk in love. And every day that we're doing that, the enemy says, I can't get to them. I like that better than having to pray, God, protect me. I like to put his protection on. See, when we feel vulnerable, if we're not walking in faith and love, we're going to feel vulnerable to attack. We're going to be more given to fear. We're going to live looking over our shoulder. We're going to be worried about every little thing that goes on. We're going to deal with a lot more doubt and unbelief. But when we operate in faith and love, what does it mean? It means when I look at other people, I treat them the best and I think the best of them. When I look to God, I recognize he wants me to use my faith to accomplish something for him in this life and not just for him to do something for me. When I recognize that, that, that his love wants to reach out and do something for people, I begin to figure out how am I going to do that? How can I turn this moment? I like what Pastor Paul said about turning things that he's doing into a God thing or a God moment. That's right thinking because when we do that, God gives us an opportunity. It's like our eyes open and we recognize, oh, here's a reason. Here's something I can say right here. Here's something that'll make a difference. I can bring hope in this situation or I can express faith in this situation. And when we do that, we are putting that on every time we do it. Faith has an outward expression that we put on by our words. Love has an outward expression that we put on by our actions and how we treat others, how we worship. I talk about worship being an outward expression of an inward work, and it should, that should be renewed all the time. If you're in a marriage very long, there will be something in your love language that you use, either words or an expression that say, tell me how much you love me again and do it now. Anybody relate? Well, that's, part of, that's part of a relationship that is vital. Our relationship with God is we tell him by putting on the breastplate. What that means is it's not enough for there to be an inward working. We do something with it. If we're putting on a breastplate, it means I'm vulnerable if I don't, and I won't act right if I don't. When you're in a situation, you come under a verbal attack. Man, they're... When you put on the breastplate of faith and love, if you had put that on before you go into that attack, you will behave very differently than if you're more vulnerable without it. See, we're vulnerable to what the devil can get away with if we're not thinking that way, encountering people. You know, I, I, I'm not conscious all the time. Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go see Corbin and Kayla later today. I better put on my breastplate because they're going to be rough on me. I don't anticipate they're going to be rough on me. 
but there's another reason I need the breastplate of love and faith. They might be hurting. They might need to hear something really good to stir up faith in them because they're going through something. And they'll be wearing their breastplate of faith and love, and I can't see through it to see what's going on, what they're, what's happening on the inside. Why? They're, 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 I'm shielded from knowing that unless they speak it out. Why? It's covered. Think of it this way. Faith and love are the works of the blood of Jesus. So is hope. So unless they tell me, I might be able to read something in their eyes, especially his, because I can kind of read his eyes a little bit. He pretty much wears his, his feelings on his sleeve where you can, you're right, you, you can read him already. Yeah, yeah. See, they get that down. You get that down pretty quickly as a couple. But that breastplate of, of faith and love isn't something happening on the inside of me. It's covering what's happening on the inside of me. It's to benefit and protect God's working on the inside of me, even if I'm in a fight, even if I'm having difficulty on the inside. But more importantly, it's for others to perceive Jesus in my life by how I act and how I treat people, how I respond in situations when somebody's doing me ugly. I can count the times, remember the times in my life, in recent history at least, where somebody, somebody would be with me and I would come into great conflict and difficulty and I did it well. So you handled that really well. What makes us handle something well? It's not that we're great in ourselves. It's that we've learned to put up that shield. I, notice it's not just a shield of faith. I love that he put love with it because faith works by love. It's intertwined. It's like no matter how the devil pokes at that, We've got to cover it. I want you to know regarding your, your healthfulness, the breastplate of faith and love is a picture of what Jesus did on the cross to protect all your delicate parts, everything working. It's a picture of when we walk in right relationship with God and with people, we are more protected. I want you to understand that. He talks too about the the helmet of hope, the hope in our salvation as a helmet. What's that for? Think of it. It's covering your headspace. Obviously, it's to protect us from assault in our thinking. For one thing, to keep our thoughts and our minds secure on Him and the goodness of God. Even when we've heard something, uh, a good helmet covers covers and protects but it exposes the ability to hear the ability to see and the ability to smell so when you've got the helmet of salvation on it's not going to prevent you from hearing a bad report it's not going to stop you from something smelling not just right that that you're around it's not going to prevent you necessarily from seeing your eyes your ears your sense of smell your sense of taste everything is still available to you it's a matter of what you choose to do once your senses have received a signal to keep the helmet on to protect the outcome so that you don't come under attack so that the enemy doesn't take you out by psyching you out because that's what the enemy tries to do. So he's saying there's vital protection in developing faith, hope, and love in our lives. He's showing us how to do it. I'm giving as, as many quick illustrations as I can. Your headspace is also being protected in that you have the mind of Christ. To have the mind of Christ, he says, put on the helmet of your salvation. Remember what you're saved from. I hear so many things. I, 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 listen, I listen to a lot of preachers here. What are they preaching? And where's it going to take people? 
Because scripture teaches that what we hear is where we're going to go. We're going to begin saying it. We're going to go there with our life. So I think a lot about that before I get up and, and tell you anything. Why I, I'm responsible for painting you a roadmap to success in God. And I better make sure I'm doing it right. And, and, and I don't want you to have to take the dirt roads if there's an interstate. You know, I like to give you the interstate. Today's an interstate sermon. It's, it's meant to take us somewhere quickly into growth and maturity. But I think about these things and I think about the, the, the helmet covering the thought life. We're being bombarded. I, I turn on the weather channel every morning for about three minutes and I scroll through what's the week look like and what's going to happen later today and what kind of coat do I need or whatever. I scroll through there and, and I marvel at how they sensationalize everything. And if I listen for more than a couple minutes, there's going to be really bad news somewhere and the world's coming to an end because the weather's bad. And I think, okay, they're saying the weather keeps getting worse and worse and climate change and everything's changing. I'm thinking, we just didn't know about it when I was a kid because we had an antenna in the air and you got one, one station pretty good and it was 50 miles away. So you never really knew what was going to happen where we grew up because the closest real report was 50 miles away and you didn't know who was giving it. It wasn't a scientist, it was somebody reading off a ticker tape. So things have gotten more accurate. But instead, we get sensationalized and bombarded with something else to worry about. The mind of Christ doesn't get overwhelmed or we lose our hope. I recognize sometimes I have to set some information aside. I'm not ignorant to what happens in the world. Lucinda and I both listen to some news programs. I've done that a, a lot more this year than any other time because the Holy Spirit warned me to be aware of the times and be aware of what's happening, partly because of how I give myself to prayer in it. But I still meter how much of that I can take. And if it starts to be combatant against my mind and stir up anything that affects my faith, anything that affects my hope, anything that touches on my ability to love God or love people, I change the channel. And I say, that is not happening to me. Why? The whole world, Scripture says, in the latter days, Every voice will want to be significant in your life. And you will have to choose who gets to be significant and rank them. I would say this, other than Christ Jesus, Lucinda's my next significant. Then there's a descending list of significance. And a lot of people move up and down that by what kind of relationship and what kind of communication we have. But the top about five are pretty constant Jesus and your spouse ought to be right up there. And then you ought to insert your kids. Why? You're teaching them the priority of communication. And you are the least sensational person in their life, most likely, if you're mom and dad. You're the greatest reality that they have. You're the greatest anchoring that they have. You're the greatest stability that they have of anybody that they're going to have until they get their own spouse then they're choosing, this is the stabilizing person in my life that's going to help me keep my sights on faith, hope, and love, and they're not going to fall. When we do that, people don't fall away. You can't fall far from grace when somebody is helping you be that. We're to be that for one another to some degree, but there's layers, positional relationships that are incredibly important. Moms and dads largely teach kids how to make Jesus first because mom and dad should have been first. See, what we do, we point to Jesus. There's an authority higher than mom and dad. And here's how my parents used it. So, well, I don't know about that. About 12, I was challenging their authority. 
I don't think I like the idea of that. I don't want to do it that way. I wouldn't flat out say no. I mean, we had consequences for saying no. I would try to hedge toward it and then see how's, what's the response going to be. You know, what would happen is if it's dealing with my mom, she'd say, your father will be home in an hour. She'd just turn and walk off. And I had to decide whether I wanted to face the higher authority knowing that I crossed a line and then if I got with the higher authority, dad, and tried, he'd let me, he'd let me talk. He'd say, you need to become a good negotiator. Give it your best shot. <laughs> that always meant you're going to lose in five minutes, but go ahead and let's, let's have five. You're going to lose. Why? He's going to back up mom no matter what it was because they're married, you know, and they're supposed to operate as one. And I, I learned how that's supposed to work by watching them. I, thought, you, you, I can't get dad to, I can't, can't, can't get him to side with me. He's going to side with mom. But I'd begin to negotiate and if I'd try to press into him, he'd say, the scripture says. He went to a highest authority. He said, you want to argue, you can argue with him, but as for me and my house, you're going to do it this way. I'm like, okay, pops. I, I give. He'd say, keep trying, though. Now, a lot of us wouldn't say that to kids, but keep trying. We're going to be negotiating with God like that when we're on our own. And understand that he, he's, God is most like the father figure that knows the word. Because we'll get just enough word that he'll bring that back to us. Or just enough understanding he'll bring that back to us. I'm trusting that quality in our relationship with God to get us through. Our greatest ability to know what faith, hope, and love are supposed to look like in an all mixed up world. Where all kinds of confusion is going on. Where I'll say chaos. I remember saying this three years ago. The spirit of Antichrist is a spirit of chaos turned loose on the world and that we would begin to see more and more. We've experienced that. What undoes the chaos in our lives is we make Jesus Lord and we constantly evaluate what's happening in my faith life. How am I walking in love and operating in love? Do I bring hope to others? How am I expressing Jesus' word in the earth? Because you will wear it, I will wear it like a badge for all eternity. And it's meant to be a reward. That's what it's meant to be. I want to pray for you this morning. If you'll stand to your feet. I'm not going to minister in the altar today just by, by reason of, of health consciousness for everybody. My mother-in-law goes into surgery in the morning, so our household is fully quarantined to keep her protected so she can go into surgery. Something she needs to have done and she's been pre-approved. So I've made a... I promised to my wife and my mother-in-law to limit my contact, physical contact today, so I can stay at home, sleep in my own bed tonight. Otherwise, I'll be out in the hotel when I know it. I want to pray for you. Pastor Paul, close in just a minute. Heavenly Father, thank you for the working of the love of God in our hearts to redefine our lives. Those that are home today, those that are here today, Father, you're working a work of divine love in us today that we can have a confidence in that we're protected Father, you're working a, a work of faith in us that is like a, a shield to our physical body, a shield to our lives. Father, that every vital part of our life is protected by the work of love in Christ Jesus and, and, and the work of faith in our hearts. Father, we thank you for giving us that anointing. Father, help us be people of hope everywhere we go to bring hope, to stir hope, to impart hope. Father, we can't do it without having uh, the breastplate of love and faith on our hope will fail. So, Father, help us walk in all three. 
It's the three-way, trifold, trifecta anointing in our lives is to walk and live this way. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you open doors of opportunity. Father, I thank you that you are a faithful provider. I thank you, Jesus, that you are our healer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you go before us and make our way perfect in every way, every day. I thank you for doing that for this whole house and every person in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. A special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that ministry at Living Word Church is possible. You can get more information on our website at go2lwc.org. You can also give online as well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with your friends. You can take a screenshot and post it to your social stories. You know what? You can even share it in person with someone who needs encouragement from God's Word today. Thanks again for listening. And as always, you're welcome to join us in person where we will worship together and God will minister directly to you. Be blessed this week and be a doer of His Word.